the McNugget Buddies are back at Macca's. Get yours in the limited edition Kerwin Frost box. The new refined seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's large SUV. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. This is Sports Day. Hello, welcome along to Sports Day. Well, isn't it amazing the difference four picks in the draft can make? In 2018, North Melbourne were looking for a midfielder and after some trading and some pick swapping, ironically with Port Adelaide, they elected to match Adelaide's bid at pick eight and take a young lad originally from Sydney but who lived now in Tasmania who'd been in their academy since he was 15. His name was Taron Thomas. 190 centimetres, 78 kilograms, sublimely talented, creative, highly skilled, a potential generational talent. He was, however, prone to being late for training, missing the bus and appointments that a young fellow in a professional era looking to build a career should never miss more than once, along with some more serious transgressions that raised some major red flags. North Melbourne accepted his foibles, ignored the red flags and backed in the fact that everyone has weaknesses that need to be addressed and stood on draft night and named the precocious talent to lead their rebuild. Just four picks later, Port Adelaide stood up and nominated another midfielder, six months younger than Taron Thomas, short by comparison at just 181, but at the same weight cane that we're not allowed to talk about at 78 kilograms. His name? Zach Butters. Five years on, Zach Butters has just been named the vice-captain of Port Adelaide, having won the best and fairest last year, the prestigious AFL Coaches Award Player of the Year, and an All-Australian jumper for the first time. He's played 93 games and kicked 55 goals, and he was named the best 22-year-old and underside in 2020. In the career highlights column on Wikipedia for Taron Thomas, there is a blank. There's nothing. He's played 69 games and kicked 56 goals. And the chances of him playing another is, as we all know, at best remote. Just four picks separated two midfielders, one of which is currently a celebrated young champion. The other sits on football's death row, waiting for the verdict on his footballing life. This is a stuff-up of significant proportions by North Melbourne, whose previous recruitment and development departments must acknowledge it was a serious error in hindsight. They'd be frustrated, of course, and rightfully so, given how many resources they ploughed into the at-times wayward talent. But ultimately, it's a results business, and you get the bouquets for the successes and the brick bats for the failures. And this is a high-quality failure. But given what transpired over the past 12 months, I have some sympathy for the undoubted frustrations with Thomas, for he simply wouldn't conform like your average, normal talented 18-year-old, 19, 20, 21-year-old. After a significant brush with the law involving domestic violence last year, he was lucky to be given a second chance. But the new administration with a legendary coach, again, threw significant time and resources into supporting Taron through 2023 on and off the field. And he rewarded them by taking no heed of the serious counselling and guidance and transgressed again. Ultimately, that is totally a Taron Thomas problem. Not development, not recruiting. That's Taron Thomas's problem. And only Taron Thomas can sort it out whether his football playing career continues or not. Ultimately, rule number one in drafting is you don't fail with your top 10 picks. Something North have quickly rectified, 
having learnt a painful lesson about red flags. And rule number one for a player, well, if it is to be, it is up to me. It's a truism for every player that's pulled on a boot for centuries. And it's absolutely true for Taron Thomas right now. The only question is, is he capable of finally learning a lesson? Isn't it amazing what difference four draft picks makes? Kane, welcome to you. Uh, yeah, it's an excellent point, Jared, and it's the balance that all clubs have. There, there may be some red flags in the draft year. How much of that is immaturity as a teenager? Yep. Or how much of is it serious underlying issues that are going to not be able to rectify throughout the start of their AFL career and on to uh, early adult life? That's why the recruiting situation is so important, the background checks, all of that, and still you might stuff some up. And every club's got a history of stuffing the odd yep. pick up. Uh, and this one, you're right, uh, it was a serious error. Uh, I'm looking at the draft uh, with, with me now, and there's some really good players that have gone after Taron Thomas. Some of those have, have been academy players, such as the Lizard Blakey and, and Isaac Quainall, but there's some good ones after that. Um, and, yeah, it, it was a mistake. And to your point, you know, we discussed it a lot this time last year. They were far too forgiving of his indiscretions at the time, um, and they were very lenient on him, I thought, mm. albeit despite they did send him away, but I think that was largely due to some significant media pressure. And to hear that he's paid $700,000 a year for what he's done in the in the game, it just boggles your mind. So they have rewarded this type of behaviour in the past and it's come back to hurt them now to the point where oh, I think they're resigned to the fact that they're going to move on. Now, Pete Ryan's going to join us from the age. Uh, he's seen a lot of stories such as this over his long career. He'll give us the latest on the Taron Thomas Situation. We're going to speak to GWS Smallfort. Brent Daniels is going to join us as well. And then we'll talk some cricket. We'll go to New Zealand with Dan Cherney after 7 o'clock. And you can get involved and have your say on Jerry's topic off the top if you'd like. And some bad news down at uh, the Blues Cane. Yeah. Sam Sammy Walsh has uh, hurt the back again. And uh, yeah. it's come through on on a number of uh, uh, texts from uh, Carlton supporters that have let me in on the knowledge. I know it's uh, already all over the media, but uh, it's a... It's a savage blow because uh, he's such an important player for them. few things make me nervous. It's feet yeah. and it's backs. Now, I think Sam Walsh, who is uh, early stage of his career, has had both. But yeah. um, this time last year, he had a rod in his back inserted, didn't he, Jared? I, that's not the medical term for it. But I don't know if he had a am- rod inserted, did he? Okay. Well, I'm not sure. It was significant back yeah. surgery, though, I think, which um, you know, forced him to have no preseason and an interrupted start to the season. And what he did when he returned was nothing short of extraordinary. Now, what does soreness in the back mean? Is it a week off and it gets better? Or is it a significant underlying issue? Is it a stress issue? fracture? Is it a disc? Yeah, is it Who knows? Who knows? It's so, a, it's a it's a, a serious question, and it's a it's a, a watch this space because I don't think they'll come out and uh, give us the full explanation. They may not even know what it is just yet, uh, but they will be very concerned, and uh, they're going to be conservative without question. Now, Kane, you started a very very uh, big discussion, a, a good discussion, uh, Sammy Walsh uh, versus the new Rosie. captain of uh, yeah. Port Adelaide, uh, Rosie. Where do you reckon that race is at the present time? Um, look, I don't know if the, there's a, the right or wrong answer to that no. question. That, that's what, that's where I land. Two rippers. Yeah. T- different types of player. Yeah. But who would you select right now? If you're at the draft table moving forward, probably Rosie because of his durability and the questions over Walsh's repeated injury. And he's, he is more of a match winner. 
I, I think, uh, but then you look at Sam Walsh's final series last year and you go, yeah, wow, brilliant. this guy is a big game player and he yep. probably wins a Brownlow medal. So there is, I would not be offended if anyone yep. went either way, but the discussion has certainly leveled up from the amount of abuse I copped when I first uh, had that opinion in their, in their first years. Uh, Blues fans, have you say on that? Wiedering and Walsh, if they have both gone down, what does it do to your premiership aspirations? And of course, we get it. We may be jumping the gun. Pete Ryan will give us the latest on it because he's written about it in The Age. But modified training at this time of year with the history with the back uh, doesn't sound great. Jared, I want to get your thoughts on this before we get to Pete because mm-hmm. uh, Matty Lloyd was on 3AW and he said this about the Bombers and what might happen if they don't play finals. Next is the Bombers. Haven't won a final for 20 years. The time is there for them now. They've brought in Mackay to stiffen them up in the back line. Goldstein, Dersma. So there's no reason now they shouldn't be making it. But the way they're recruiting and the way they've brought players in, Mm. that doesn't look like a side to me that is saying um, we're still a year or two off. I think the Bomber fans would nearly tear Windy Hill down, I think, if they don't make it this year. Really? Yeah, I think how long do they have to wait for? Would they tear Windy Hill down? Oh, I think the expectations are a bit lower than that. Lloyd, he's, uh, he's pretty obviously higher expectations than me. I mean, it all depends on some of their kids. I mean, if you go back 20, 12 months, their young blokes were fantastic. But last year, they trailed off significantly. But if they all come with a rush, well, they're going to be in the mix. Now, I think Lloyd is right in that you know they're recruiting – for now, when you're going for uh, you know some senior players, but it's uh, when there's no certainties to push on and make play nah, finals. There, there are no certainties, but he's he's factoring in the history, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, how impatient the fan base have, have become, and rightly so. And with Brad Scott, who's not really a rebuilding coach, he's more for the now. He's had final success, and with Mackay and Gresham and Dersmer and Goldstein, his yeah. point is well. Are you really spending big money on those four? As we discussed last night, if you're not in it to win fight, you're going to go get Goldstein if you're rebuilding, or if you're rebuilding, are you going to give a young Ruckman an opportunity to work underneath Draper? Essendon would say, well, hang on. We didn't give up anything for those players. No. We didn't give any draft picks. They're free agents, yep. or we just got, got them for nothing, and we're still investing into youth. But it had me thinking, which club supporter groups would burn their respective stands down? We're, you know, we're, we're having a bit of a license with words here as, yeah. as Lordy was. He's not, not saying literally if they didn't play finals this year. So I've got a couple. Okay. I think the Carlton fans would burn the stands down if they didn't play finals this year. Would you agree? If they have a, if they have a normal run with injury, I'd agree hundred percent. Now Brisbane don't have as many fans as some of the big Melbourne clubs. No. If they didn't play finals this year, they, they would absolutely. Entitled to get the matches out. Yeah. The, the Gabba's looking a bit tired anyway. So it needs might, to be refurbished. They might burn that down. I think the Western Bulldogs fans would, would burn the, the Oval down if they. If they don't play finals, the, the microscope is out. Yep. Now Alberton has been redeveloped. It looks magnificent, but Does it, it won't last too long if Port Adelaide don't play finals this year. So right. let's add them. To Expectations the are high. Yeah, so they're they're the ones. But what about Sydney? Me... <sighs> Four big yeah. recruits coming in. A lot of people yeah, uh, no, are talking about them playing last two weeks. Even flag flag favourites in that group. Definitely GWS. Not not enough fans to burn well, it down. Just not enough. Yeah, I thought about them, but I thought overachieved last year. Gave their fans a lot of excitement. If they had a blip like Fremantle did the previous year, you probably uh, give them a get out yep. pass, and they just don't have a lot of supporters. And then I had. I'd Adelaide with a question mark. I don't think they'd quite burn down West Lakes. No. But they'd be close. 
Yeah, I think they're I think they're primed, the Adelaide fans. They I believe think they're ready to rock and roll. What about Hawthorne? They're uh, they're not gonna burn no. it down. And I only introduced them, Kane, because I did want to tell you that I ran into a very, very famous young man today. I was oh, on the on. beach, I'd just finished the swim and uh, he came over and said, My name's Finn. I didn't quite pick up his face. I didn't quite run into him ever before. I'm thinking, which Finn are we talking <laughs> about that here? Finn Callahan. There's Finn. Yeah. I'm looking at. He's not quite tall enough for Finn Callahan. But anyway, after a few, three or four questions, I finally worked out. It's the corn medalist. The finisher. The finisher. And Finn uh, what a lovely young man Finn McGuinness was. Uh, we had a good chat about a number of things, and he's uh, certainly looking forward to. Uh, yeah, terrorising. Finishing his year. finishing yeah. his uh, finishing off and uh, oh. his apprenticeship and, and and locking down his spot. But gee, was he proud about the corn medalist? <laughs> he so, was thrilled. So he should be. He's my man, Finn McGuinness, and I hope he terrorises a few midfielders who have just been going about their business far too easily, oh, well, running around doing absolutely. as they please with no, no opponents. Crazy. And then Finn, Finn goes to them, and Simon Goodwin starts saying he doesn't want the footy. They, they don't go know to what order. to do. Yeah, they absolutely go to water. Um, but let us know, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. who do you support? And is it at the level where you would burn the stadium down? And we're having some licenses, I said, if your team doesn't qualify for finals in 2024. Joining us now, he's had a busy day. He's written about Taron Thomas. He's also broken the news about Sam Walsh's back soreness, which is a disaster for the Big Blues. Story. Pete Ryan's his name. Uh, Peter, thanks for your time. G'day, Kane. G'day, Jared. Let's start with sorry, Jared. Let's start with Taron Thomas because uh, that's been the topic for the last twenty four hours. We're, we're still in the dark a little bit, Pete. What can you tell us? Yeah, we are still in the dark. It's uh, it's as the AFL claimed yesterday after uh, Tom Morris broke that story that uh, he expects uh, Thomas to get an eighteen week suspension. That um, there's still uh, the investigations ongoing. The commission's yet to. Um, make a decision on the length of his penalty. Now, I still expect it will be, if not 18, as close enough as it can be. Um, and it will be, regardless of the number of weeks, such a lengthy penalty that it puts his career at risk. But we're still just waiting for the AFL to give the final tick-off. And I think there's a lot of parties that are, are still involved in the discussions about how long it would be, including Thomas, who's clearly fighting for his career. So he's making uh, every effort to minimise the ban. Are they prevaricating here, uh, the AFL, just trying to uh, ease the squeeze a little bit, given that Tom got got the jump on them? I, I can't believe that the commission, or Tom has been told that the commission have uh, made their mind up, and all of a sudden now they uh, haven't made their mind up. Yeah. Uh, look, it seems to me that uh, they might... I'm not sure they're deliberately uh, waiting for it, but uh, certainly they're going through the process completely before actually coming out with the news. So, look, they tell us, and uh, they've been telling us consistently that the investigation's ongoing, but when the Commission's involved, as you well know, Jared, um, the AFL people and executive tread very carefully mm. in ensuring that every person's um, seen what they need to see before they say anything publicly. So we'll just wait and see on that. But, but everyone's bracing for it to be a significant ban. No one's quite sure exactly what the nature of... Uh, what Karen's alleged to have done as yet. So that's another uh, thing that we're all um, seeking to find out and see where it sits um, once we know that and where the penalty fits. I guess that's the, the challenging part for anybody commenting on it. We're, we're assuming a lot 
Uh, the police aren't involved, uh, from what we understand. So that doesn't equate to an 18-match ban. But if you factor in last year and uh, something closely associated, um, albeit without the police being involved, then you can come to a fairly significant penalty. But no police involved, 18 weeks, there's still some detail to be filled in. Absolutely. And it's, you're right. I mean, we do know that the fact that it's um, a repeat offence or, or let's, you know, an alleged repeat offence that he's obviously been suspended last year for a similar thing has factored into weighing up what would be an appropriate penalty because if he's done what's been alleged, um, then clearly he hasn't learned much from what happened last year and most people, I think fair-minded people, would think, well, this is the consequence, Taryn, and really you've got an opportunity to play footy or you go down this path and that opportunity is going to be taken away from you. Mm. You've spoken to Todd Viney. Um, they've been pretty diplomatic. They say that they're left in the dark a little bit and they don't have all the information because, as you say, the AFL have been handling this one. But what is their overriding emotion, do you think, that uh, North are feeling in your discussions? Well, the overriding emotion would be, be fair to say that they've got whatever, say they've got 40 players on their list, they've got 39 that they can look at um, and have a real excitement potentially generated around them. A lot of young talent on the list, they've got Alistair Clarkson coaching. They want to create a club that everyone's proud of and really gets behind as they emerge as, as a young group. And then they've got um, one individual, and we don't want to be too harsh on him, let's hope his well-being's okay as well, but you know, one individual that's taking up a lot of time, a lot of energy and painting the North Melbourne footy club and the whole culture in the light that they don't want to be seen in. So it's pretty clear what their position would be once um, the AFL hands down whatever the penalty is. Mm. And I guess the options for them is to, if he gets a, a, the ban, let's say it's 18 weeks, is to keep him on the list but away from the group and then you would think delist him when that is done or right. to sever ties now, Pete? Uh, you would have to think they're going to take the the, the ladder there and, and that'll be it as soon as that suspension is confirmed. Potentially, that'd be an option they'd explore. I mean, the thing is that they need there's contractual obligations and there's obviously the Players Association has a role in this. I mean, I feel a bit for the Players Association. They're defending the player and they're, you know, they're going to be left holding the baby um, if Taron does find himself outside the system. So... You know, there's a few things that need to be uh, ticked off and worked through from a legal perspective um, if, in fact, he does get the 18-week suspension in North Melbourne to side, which they haven't as yet, um, that they don't want him on their list. Most people I talk to about this, Pete, ask the same question. Why should the club pay him if he's uh, broken rules, which means he becomes suspended by the AFL? Yeah, well, from a moral point of view and, and from a, you know, fair, fair point of view, I can see what you're saying, but sometimes it's just the, uh, you know, you take a loss, don't you, on these sorts of situations and you come out with some sort of um, agreement that legally satisfies what needs to be legally satisfied and he's got legal representation and management representation mm. who will advocate to set him up. Um, you know, we're jumping a little bit ahead, but that he gets whatever he was signed yep. up for. Whenever you sign a contract as a club, you're taking a risk as a player. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure you can actually say it would be a really hard argument to win legally that, you know, you don't pay him because of what he's done. Yeah, it's an interesting t- take Thomas out of the out of the equation. It, it is, to me, it's uh, pretty extraordinary that uh, you can go down 
a track uh, where you contravene rules, whatever those rules are, and you, you still end up with your full pay. Yeah, well, it just doesn't pass the pub test, does it? No. Most people would think, you know, <laughs> really, is this the way the world, world doesn't work for a lot of people? They suffer the consequences. But, um, you know, uh, I think that in terms of the salary cap and in terms of Tarrant Thomas being able to uh, get the conditions that are in his contract, I'm not sure that's going to be the biggest issue for him going forward. If he can get that, well, good luck to him in a sense. And um, mm. we also must and I'm kind of conscious to do this to whoever's the person that's made the allegation, we yeah. have to feel for that person as well. Um, and that's the way the AFL's handling this. It's, you know, it's a different world, but it's a victim-led investigation. So, you know, we hope they're going okay as well. Mm. Pete Ryan is with us from The Age. Now tell us about Sam Walsh. Yeah, well, this is a bit of a... It's an interesting one with Sam because he's backflared up after he played uh, an intra-club match simulation on Monday... Uh, he didn't train on Friday. Uh, he didn't train today. He's on a modified program. The club's still gathering some information. We all know he had back surgery at the end of 2022 in December and uh, made a comeback after about four or five rounds last year and then obviously had an outstanding final series. They're hoping it settles down, but they're being guided by what Sam's feeling day to day. Um, he has managed this situation for probably the best part of 18 months. And there's, a, there's just uncertainty. He's got back soreness at a time of the year that you don't want to be having back soreness after having a great pre-season. So, look, best case scenario, it settles down and they find out what caused it in the first place. Worst case scenario is that, uh, you know, they really have to have a good look at his program and see what they can do to get him back on the park. But at the moment, he's on a modified program. Yeah, so I said earlier he had a rod in his back. I was incorrect in saying that. He was sent in for surgery on a bulging disc, a microdiscectomy, which is a disectomy, Jared, apologies, which uh, removes a portion of the disc to relieve pressure on a nerve. Gee, that sounds nasty. They must be incredible. I don't want to over-dramatise this, Pete, but they must be really nervous about this. Well, I think it'd be fair to say, yeah, people are on edge about it. But they're trying to... I mean, the, the thing that gives them some level of optimism or hope is that Sam's been in this position previously and managed to work his way through it and get back on the park and be OK. But, I mean, I feel for Sam. He's 23 and you, you don't want to be dealing with back issues um, at that stage of your life. So everyone's going to be pretty careful about making sure he's back fit and well um, when he next appears in full training. Uh, Pete, you've been around the game a long time. What's the difference between match practice and match sim? Uh, well, it's just a, it's nothing. But we're getting more Americanised, don't okay. we? Okay. Moving there. on that way. What did you take yeah, out of uh, Melbourne's performance in match sim? Uh, I was a little bit disheartened. Um, I must admit that their ball use going forward didn't seem to have a lot of difference. Um, they haven't got kicks. Jack Viney, Christian Petraka, well, Clayton Oliver didn't play, obviously, but he's similar type. They don't really hit players lace out on the lead. Um, they put a lot of faith in Jacob Van Ruin being Tony Lockett, and he obviously is not that. Um, <laughs> I worry about the fact that they haven't seen to, as yet, make any dramatic changes. They're just going with the same thing, which sometimes is your lot when you know you're a top four team and if you just get a few things right, um, yeah, I was, I was a little bit disheartened, but 
there's a long way to go. There's still a few weeks to get it right. Mm. All right, we're we're not buying into preseason hype or predictions <laughs> or, doom. Uh, or reaction doom. to practice games after burning myself last year, Pete. Well, so I'm just going to keep I'm a little not, head. I must admit, I loved I loved to be in a Casey Fields where people were going berserk at the umpires. Yeah. <laughs> it's <quarter>. back. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's back. Hey, yeah. mate, great stuff today. Appreciate your time as always. Pleasure. Thanks, Pete Ryan there from The Age reporting on the latest with Taryn Thomas and also just the concerning developments around Sam Walsh and some back soreness. You are listening to Sports Day for the new redefined seven-seat Kia Sorento and for Maccas, the McNugget buddies are back at Maccas. Fair bit on our agenda. One of the better small forwards in the game is Brent Daniels. We'll find out how his preseason and all things happening at the Giants. And I've got some thoughts on leadership groups next. This is Sports Day. Uh, it's a big welcome in to Sports Day. Busy, busy show. If you're just joining us, Pete Ryan from The Age with the latest on Taron Thomas and the flare-up of the back issue with Sam Walsh, who is now on a modified program and the club crossing their fingers. It is nothing too serious. It's a very good evening to our new audience joining us for the first time this evening. Uh, we'd love for you to get involved on the Harcourt's open line, one 736 736 Very shortly, we'll cross to GWS small forward Brent Daniels, who plays his role as good as anyone uh, in the game. And Jared Healy is here, had he say, on uh, the drafting errors that some clubs can make and the red flags that may be ignored in the lead-up to uh, them drafting them, in particular, Taron Thomas, who North selected over Zach Butters, Jared? Indeed, they did, just four draft picks. And uh, North Melbourne, I think, did some trading with... Um... Port Adelaide, ironically, for them to, I think, pick up Polak and uh, try to let the pick 12, which they ended up using on Zach Butters, who is now one of the young champions and one of the great leaders, uh, young leaders in the competition, whereas Thomas is still sitting on death row. And uh, surely I agree with this uh, text that's just come through. The ongoing issue with Thomas and the Kangaroos, it beggars belief that the AFL... Uh, uh, would still be floating around talking about suspensions. I mean, it, it is time. I mean, it's it's now very public. I don't think any good is coming out of uh, the, the continued discussion and speculation. Mm. It's time for the AFL, I think, to make a move and uh, bring down this suspension. And just before uh, you, you, you comment on that, Kane, the discectomy that um, – and this is, the, I guess, the great uh, unknown – but just because Sam Walsh had uh, the dystectomy last year doesn't mean that that's the same problem. It may no. well be a totally different back issue. Uh, so we're just fingers crossed and, and hope for the best. Yep, no doubt. And a lot of people having their say on a, on a raft of topics that we've discussed. As a North Melbourne fan, I have no issues with having Thomas cut from the team should the allegations be as serious as the impression we were left with. Yet I'm absolutely perplexed how Marlon Pickett is still playing considering the charges brought against him uh, g'day, Kane and Jared. We touched on uh, Essendon and, and Matty Lloyd's thoughts on the Bombers fans. I'm a lifelong Essendon fan. I couldn't care less about the furor around the time since we won our last final. That is an end point uh, or an outcome. What has concerned me more is the poor coaching appointments, recruitment, low expectation culture, um, which has permeated through the club for years. We need to get this right and then concern ourselves about finals. Brad Scott changed the football department and board appointments has been a highly positive first step, says Wazza. And agree with that. I don't think Brad Scott can worry about time frames of history. And this one, Blues chances are just about shot if Walsh has to have more surgery. The back isn't a joke. Just look at Ben Simmons and his surgery playing in the NBA ruined him. Yeah, I think uh, Sam Walsh is made of a, a 
more harder stuff than Ben Simmons over there in the NBA, to put that as respectfully as I possibly can. Uh, leadership group announcement season, Jared, always always fascinates me. <laughs> it's a, just, just a little area of expertise of mine. Yeah. I, I look at them, some people couldn't care less. Yep. They just let it go through to the keeper. I take a bit more of a forensic approach to club leadership announcements. Um, I note that Adelaide announced theirs today. And this is who is in their eight-person leadership group. Wayne Miller, Ben Keyes, Brody Smith, Riley O'Brien, Darcy Fogarty, Mitch Hinge, and Lockie Murphy. Now, I'm not certain three of those players are guaranteed a spot in the side, let alone a spot in the leadership group. Now, to me, leadership, 90% of it is what you do on game day. Do you front up? Are you consistent? Do you stand up in big moments? And do you perform to the level that you need to for the team. That is 90% of leadership. The other 10% Can you name is that leadership group again? So it's Wayne Miller. Yeah. It's Ben Keyes. It's Brody Smith. Riley O'Brien, the Ruckman. Darcy Fogarty. Mitch Hinge. And Lachlan Murphy. Now Jordan so, Dawson's not in it. Well, he's the captain. Yeah, yeah clearly. He's in it as well. But, Sorry. Yeah, my, I, I've looked him. He's, he's in there as well. This is the leaders that will support Jordan okay. Dawson. But a good pickup. Good pickup from you. Thank you for being switched on. So let, let's go through a couple. Lockie Murphy nearly played every game last year and is is a small forward that plays his role. But if Adelaide need to go to where they're going to go, I don't know if he's in their best 22, yet he's in the leadership group. Right. Highly embarrassing. Mitch Hinge is a, now a good AFL player and yep. has cemented himself as that. But that's in one season. He's got a lot more work to do on his game and his uh, role in the competition and his reputation to solidify himself, let alone be a leader. Darcy Fogarty's just got, he's just got there. It wasn't that long ago, Darcy Fogarty, they were trying to find a spot for him in the sample. Mm. He's now in and he's, in, he's an important player, but to now fast track him to the leadership group, mistake. Riley O'Brien, yep, no, no issues with that. No issues with Brody Smith. Ben Keyes is, you know, he's a, he's a warrior and we really like him. I don't mind Ben Keyes. I think yeah, he's, he's a, he's he's a, a standard piece. setter. Yeah, he's a scrapper and he works hard and he's a hard runner and he gets under the skin of the opposition. But I'm not, wouldn't be guaranteeing him a spot in the 22. And Wayne Miller gets injured every year, and he's in, so I, I don't know. I, I then compare Adelaide's eight-person leadership group to Carlton, Cripps, Walsh, Weeder, and Kerno, stars everywhere, players that every week turn up and perform. I look at the Saints, Rowan Marshall, Sinclair, Steele, Wilkie, bang, 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 bang. They're, they're your best players. They're the ones in the leadership group. Collingwood. Just four of them. We don't need eight. More how Maynard Quainor. Stars mm. everywhere. So I just think that's more the way that it should be going. I think eight is way too many. And I think there's some questionable acquisitions and just the role of player empowerment yep. into this. Yep. The votes are great. I just would have loved Matthew Nisko. Yeah, I'm seeing your votes and I like the fact that they're highly regarded, but I'm slashing this leadership group to Smith, uh, O'Brien and Dawson. Mm. I'm having a three person. Bang. Anyway, have you say on that? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. It's too many. It sounds a lot to me, Kane. As someone who grew up in the captain, vice captain era, it's uh, <laughs> it's a hell of a lot to have <laughs> an eight man cabinet sitting, uh, which then passes on, because most cabinets are led by two or three anyway. Um, it. It's it's great to have contributions from all and sundry, but uh, that can be done by the three or the four. But anyway, it's. Uh, it's it's a, an interesting time with the leadership in the in the uh, in the game. And just before we get to Brent Daniels, I I did watch with interest Tim Watson's terrific interview with Adam Uze on yeah. Channel Seven last night, and uh, this has been doing the rounds today. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this because this this struck with me. One of the first moves Adam Uze made was this. 
I had the luxury of walking in and recognising different photos that were up that might have been up for too long and things like that. It's just like, we need some, we need some clear air here. Why is that in this room? Like, that's six years ago. I felt like I was disrespecting people by saying, does this need to be in here? Can we, can we move it? Can we get some blank walls? And the leaders bought into that. We had a discussion around it and it was, it was time that that needed to be shifted and almost like a fresh coat of paint. I just read that, actually, uh, prior to coming on air, and I thought it was fantastic. So I mean, they are all about building new history. I mean, you can't live in the, the glory of what's gone, even though it's still fresh and it's not far away. But with a new coach, it is time to turn the page and uh, to worry about the future. There's plenty of time to celebrate the, the past, the greatness of the past. It'll be a 10-year anniversary in about four or five years' time. But for this group, particularly the guys that didn't play in those they don't want to be talking about, uh, you know, the greatness. That that overhung Hawthorne for a long period of time. People trying to emulate the deeds of the great Hawthorne sides. And uh, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, it, it probably was reminded of the group under Chris Scott for a period of time. But, uh, you know, they won one and then they won another one 10 or 11 years later, which was uh, one of the great grand final victories, yeah. I reckon. So, but uh, so that, a great move by Uzo. That's what I thought as well. And they, it looked better because they had the pictures of it. Like okay. They had the Channel 7 cameras in the lecture theatre and Chris Newman was up addressing the group. And Adam Uzo, he spoke on a whole heap of things, but that was the thing that struck with me as well about how initially when you're a new coach, you feel like you've got to come in and do everything, but yep. he's been delegating and that's work. Now, now that may be confronting for a couple of those premiership players that have been in the room and you go, oh, hang on, what was this guy doing coming in and getting rid of all that history? But it's not about history. You're right. History can happen in five, 10 years. Yeah. I, I just caught up with the 20-year Port Adelaide players on Friday morning and it's just as good. Yeah. You don't need those photos for the current group. In fact, I think it's a little bit daunting when you are comparing the current group yep. to that of the Richmond dynasty in the past. I thought it was an excellent move and a bold one and one that would have taken a little bit of courage for a new coach to come in and make. Tigers fans, one 736 736 Your coach is impressive and, and that's what you get, the insights, when your coach speaks. That's why I've been a little bit disappointed that Luke Beveridge has still refused to speak to anyone this preseason. And I know Amit Baines was on with Jared for half an hour this morning, but you'd love to hear from the coach for those reasons. How did Darren's you interpret in... that? Are they, is it uh, tense there or not tense? What was tense and now it's not tense? Past tense. <laughs> there was tension last year, but now there's not. So Well, we're going to get the inside mail each and every Wednesday <sighs> yes. night. When the tensiometer, Brad Johnson, joins us. He will be all over every element of it. And we are going to grill him. And the best segment on Melbourne radio is Yes or No with Jono. And there's going to be, I would hope, a There'll lot be of a Yes or No. There'll be a significant representation of Bulldog questions. <laughs> Relating to the Bulldogs' form from week to week. Darren, apologies. You've been waiting patiently. I had my say on Adelaide's leadership group. Uh, in particular, you want to chat about Ben Keys. What's your thoughts? Yeah, good evening, fellas. Hope you're doing well. Um, well, Corns, I normally do agree with you, mate, but I think the Crows the last few years have really been struggling with their depth in the midfield. And if it wasn't for Ben Keys and his... Look, I know he can't kick on his opposite foot and he, he's a bit of a scrapper, but he's, mm. he's really held that midfield together with some you know, tackling pressure and his intensity around the footy for that young group moving forward. Yeah, I, look, I don't disagree with anything you said, Darren. He, he is one of my favourites. I, I really admire him. And in particular, I've got a soft spot for those players that don't have as much talent as everyone else, but get the absolute most out of themselves. The, the complete opposite of Taron Thomas, which we've been discussing about. But leadership groups for me is about influence on game day. And I just love to see the best players in the team stand up and be in the leadership group. Yeah, like, I'm not like 100% something... with you there, Kane. Okay. I mean, leadership groups, I think, 
are people who influence. Now, you can influence during the week as long as you're holding your own on game day. Mm. I mean, it's, I think a lot of people, Ben Keys to me, I, I can imagine, is a really influential guy around the club. He's influential, as our caller just said, on the ground. So I think it's more than just the best players who stand up on the ground. All right, let's ask our next guest because in terms of playing a role, he's as good as anyone in the comp at doing it. And it's great to see him fit and firing because he has had his challenges. The Giants are flying, as is their forward line, and a key part of it is Brent Daniels. He joins us. Uh, Brent, thanks so much for your time. No worries, fellas. Thanks for having me. Hey, we're just discussing a little bit about leadership groups. I think the Giants are one of those clubs that have got heaps in their leadership group as well. What's important for you when it comes to leadership? I'm more sceptical of teams that have a lot of players in their leadership groups, and perhaps some of those players aren't even in their best 22. Yeah, it's a good discussion. I guess for us, like Toby, for example, um, he probably doesn't say a whole lot off the field, but on the field, he's our best player and stands up in the biggest moments. So mm. for me, I, I feel like the guys that stand up when it matters is, are the best leaders. And, you know, sometimes they don't speak a whole lot, but on field, when it's when the game's ever be won, they'll, they'll be there. How's it been? Uh, I mean, it's always... A, well, I said we were surprised last year by what you did, and that's great, and it was extraordinary. The challenge is to do it again and then do it again. Is that a little bit daunting, and, and what are your observations from the preseason being with the group? Yeah, last year was um, probably a surprise to us as well. Um, we probably didn't expect to be playing in the prelim final. So, yeah, this year it's been a lot different. Um, there's a, definitely a little bit more expectation on our shoulders, and um, it's something that, we're trying to embrace and, um, you know, preseason has been really tough and long and hard and it's been a chance to, I guess, um, work on things that, you know, we uh, thought we needed to improve from last year and um, last year's preseason was uh, really based around, you know, learning the game plan. So it's been really solid. But uh, as you said, I, I think as a club, we're, we're in a really strong position and we think we're, um, you know, we're doing the right things and uh, just looking forward to the season. Start. Must have been an incredible... 12 months or, or season, if you like, from uh, slow starts, stress ball was all the focus, and then it just all came together and uh, a couple of wins, a couple of losses, and then all of a sudden, bang, you just you just started playing this incredible brand of footy that uh, clearly the coach could see, maybe not uh, expecting it to come with such a rush, but uh, it, was, it must have been an unbelievable experience. Yeah, it was. It was as you said, it came like really quickly. Um, you know, we were sort of battling halfway through the year. Had a had a couple of really good wins against, you know, Geelong and Melbourne. Um and then yeah, we just came with a massive rush which um you know, I think it it took us by surprise. But you know, once we built momentum and we got a couple of big wins on the board, I think the belief in the group really grew. And King is uh from the get go was really bullish on uh where we get to. Mm. He um even when we were losing games he was just saying, like, you guys don't know how good you could be. It's just, you just, you're not nailing little things in games that can yep. turn into big things. So he was so big on us, even when we were losing those games early on. So, um, yeah, as the belief in the group build, I think we just gained momentum. And, yeah, it was a crazy finish of the year, which was a disappointing way to end. But yeah, it was um, it was an unbelievable experience. Yeah, it would be painful looking back at that uh, Collingwood prelim final. Just one point. There were a couple of really uh, basic errors made in the. I guess the uh, the tornado that was the last five or six minutes with so much riding on, on everything. But, uh, oh, gee, you were that close. It would give you great, I guess, encouragement to 
really think that you can push it forward. But the reality is that's a long way down the track. It is. It is. Um, as you said, yeah, it was, you know, we got so close and it's so disappointing. But, um, you know, we've been big on, you know, using the experience as, as a lesson um, and learning things from it because, you know, if we we stay disappointed and we don't learn our lessons from, from that game, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a waste. And um, we actually had a meeting the other day talking about, you know, the expectation of getting back there and, you know, not thinking too far into the future. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we really just want to nail the things that we can control and um, be in the present as hard as it is. But, um, yeah, that's it. That's our main goal at the moment is not thinking too far into the future and uh, managing the expectation on ourselves and, I guess, from the media and things like that as well. Part and parcel of your success were a couple of structural changes uh, sort of early in the season to mid. Harry Himmelberg went from sort of key forward to key back, started distrib- distributing the ball beautifully. Brown went from sort of uh, mid-size back to mid-size forward and, uh, you know, showed what an incredible athlete he is, albeit uh, an Irish athlete. But uh, any more that we should know about now? Um, I don't think so. I think uh, I think everyone will probably stay pretty similar. Yep. Um, you know, it might change throughout the year, but uh, I think everyone sort of expected to play similar roles this year. Um, obviously, we've got a couple of young guys coming through that probably play pretty early on in the year but other than that um, it'll be pretty similar to last year we do have played in the grand final had you had you got through because you were KO'd in the prelim oh yeah I um yeah I would have I think um I passed all the concussion things but um I didn't have anything you know after it so I don't don't really know but at the time I passed the concussion test and was ready to come back onto the field so um I assume I would have been able to play uh, the next week Speaking to GWS small forward, Brent Daniels, he's with us. Adam Kingsley's been pretty open with the media and he's given really good access. He spoke about the challenge of implementing a new game plan when he first took over. I imagine the second year you've been able to really go in-depth with that now that the the basic formation of your your game plan is ingrained in the group. Has that been one of the pluses through this preseason? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, as you said, last year was a lot of, game plan stuff and learning it and this year it's been sort of fine-tuning everything and I guess with that the intensity just gradually goes up because everyone's you know on board with the game plan everyone knows what they're doing so um, drills can be a bit more expansive um, and the intensity of training can go up as well so that's probably been the biggest positive comment. You've had a frustrating section of your career I mean 2022 must have been excruciating for you I think you went overseas to try and get some answers with your hammies, which you are able to get. Now, you're still so young. I couldn't believe you. I think you might be just about to turn 25. What would your message be to young players who have a similar start to their career as yours and it regularly gets interrupted through injury? Yeah, I guess uh, for me, it was also, I started my career pretty well. Like, I made my way into the team and then it sort of came with a rush where I was, did a few hammies and then it sort of became a massive issue and I couldn't get in the park, so... Um, I think the the biggest message would be just to try new things. Like, you know, you're never wrong. Like, you know, if something doesn't work, it doesn't mean you know you've done anything wrong. It's just uh, try. It's kind of like trial and error a little bit. Is you you work through things and then you might find something that really works for you and then um, you stick with it. Um, I think that's been a big thing for me over the last couple of years. Is I've just tried a lot of different things. Some things have worked. Some things haven't. But um, I think at the moment I've found a you know, a structure around my training that's, um, you know, really works for me. My waist program is, um, 
you know, it works for me as well. So I just I just think for guys that are going through little injury periods is, is just finding something that works for you and um, continue to ask questions for guys that know more than you as well. You're regarded as one of the best small forwards in the competition, not widely. I think uh, it's in some ways still a well-kept secret, but in in some respects, that's the, the great strength of uh, the Giants, but it can also be a weakness in that uh, you, you, I don't think you get enough accolades for the job you've done, but uh, the, the data doesn't lie, and champion data have you as an elite small forward. Does it frustrate you at times that you don't get the recognition you do? <laughs> Thanks for that. I, um, I've definitely got a long way to go to be regarded as one of the best smalls, but um, I don't know. I don't really, I, as you said, like we don't really hear too much of it up in Sydney, mm. um, to be honest, so when we do get recognised, it's kind of a, a talking point around the club where the boys take the piss out of each other a little bit. But um, no, it, to be honest, it doesn't worry me too much. I know, I know my value within the club. Like I know it's cliche, but as long as my coaches and my and my um, teammates respect me and respect the role, role I do for the club, um, that's all that matters. And you know, the other, the rest of it can take care of it. It'd actually be interesting to write down uh, which Swans players have broken through and have become well-known in Sydney. I reckon for the first 30 years, there was mm. Kappa, Lockett, uh, maybe probably Barry Hall, Adam Goods, uh, Lance Franklin, Toby yeah. Green maybe getting there. I, I'm not quite sure because I don't live in Sydney anymore. But uh, say again? He might be halfway, halfway there. Halfway there, yeah. He's, halfway. Got, <laughs> he's got to put on about 10 kilos and kick at 100 goals to, to really make it. But... It's it's uh, whilst the brands are strong, the individuals will have to work hard. Yeah, and I guess it works the other way as well. Like if guys aren't going that well, then you know you don't really feel the pressure as much yeah. as in Melbourne. Yep. So that's a benefit of it as well. So it it does go both ways. I might ask you a couple of quick fire ones before we let you go. It's the obvious one, but who's been flying? Like who's really impressed you this preseason? Um, I think Tom Green. He's Everyone talks about him, but um, it's almost like whoever's team he's on at the moment, their team wins in match simulation. He's been that good, so it's probably him. Okay. It's like basketball. You're the best player you win. Um, who's Head one player, this may be a bit more tricky, that is in the running to play round one that wasn't a regular in the best 18 last year? Who's pushing hard? Um, I think uh, Darcy Jones, who's a small forward. Um, he's did his ACL last year in his first year, and he's been really impressive on the track, so probably him. Mm. Tell me a bit more about him. Yeah, he's a small forward. Um, he plays a similar way to myself and Toby Bedford in terms of he's really quick and agile, um, really fit as well. So I think he'll turn a few heads early on. He's, mm. His skills are unbelievable as well. So, um, yeah, he's one to watch. And last one for me. Who's one of your assistant coaches that could easily be a senior coach? Yeah, good question. Um, I think the one that sticks out is uh, Brett Montgomery. Um, he sort of takes care of our defence and what he does in, term, in terms of that and what, what we were able to do last year was pretty impressive. So uh, probably him. And you got the scratch match against the Swans, the match sim coming up Thursday morning, isn't it? Yeah, Thursday morning. So looking forward to that. It'll be good to uh, run around against some uh, opposition players. Uh, it's that yeah. time of year where you get a bit sick of it. And you don't hate Collingwood, do you? Yeah, I don't know. 
<laughs> I didn't I didn't know the hatred was that strong, but um, obviously we do. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> obviously you do. It's a club line. Uh, honestly, mate, we, we've loved watching you play. We, we did speak about you regularly. We have Daniel Horn from Champion Data who joins us each and every week, and he, he sings your praises most weeks. So keep it up. Uh, keep that body sound and, and your future uh, sky's the limit for you and the club. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Appreciate the kind words. Thank you. Brent Daniels there from the Giants. Now, they're going to open up their season, as we know, in one of the biggest round one games we've seen, even though it's opening round. Saturday, March 9, Jared, they take on Collingwood. Pause. There's been a war of words. Hot Mason pause. Cox has had his say. Yeah. Dave Matthews has responded. Matthews has then gone further. And there's a bit of bad blood between those two, which we like. And it's good for the game. And it builds rivalries. Now, Brent Daniels there. He joined us thanks to APCO. APCO's Wicked Chili Devil Dogs. They're cheesy, they're spicy, and they're wickedly good. You are listening to Sports Day. We've covered a lot of ground. Still plenty more to get through. Dan Cherney's heading to New Zealand to cover the Aussies tour of that country. That'll be interesting. He'll give us his thoughts on the first of the T20s tomorrow. And we're doing it all thanks to Kia, the new refined seven-seat Kia Sorento. And for Maccas, the McNugget buddies are back at Maccas. Now, if you want to jump on the phone, you'll get straight through. 1-300-736-736. You're listening to Sports Day. Yeah, it is Sports Day, and our news headlines are all thanks to the spirit of Tasmania. Unwind and wander and set sail with the spirit of Tassie from $69. I asked for your calls. We've got a lot of people wanting to have their say, including Tom who's with us uh, in Melbourne. What's your thoughts on uh, Taryn Thomas? Tom, welcome to Sports Day. Thanks, Kane. Look, I was just having a bit of a think, and you obviously, when players get on the, the wrong side of the law or wrong side of the AFL's law, it's it's typically due to a bad decision. But there's clearly, and, you know, the punishment is whatever um, is given to them by the club or the AFL, and they live and learn, and it doesn't normally happen again. But there's clearly a behavioural issue here with, Taryn Thomas and I'm wondering how did that get through because the vigorous recruitment and interview process that clubs take at draft um, level and and, move, and speaking to all the under 18s kids you know how and why was this not picked up in, in, in the interviews and you know is it something that needs to be looked at from the club's perspective on, on going through and vetting the kids at, at draft level yeah, Look it's an excellent um, topic Tom, for the point of, of the interesting way that clubs handle it. Because you could look at, let's say Toby Green, Jared. Let, let's yep. just pull out that example. Now, clearly, we're not comparing him with Taron Thomas and the seriousness of the allegations. But there was repeat misdemeanors up until you know, probably 12 months ago, mm. 12, 18 months ago for Toby Green. Now he's the reigning All-Australian captain. Yeah, that's right. So the Giants are going, okay, we, we, we probably knew he was, was rough around the edges and maybe there were some red flags um, that, that we saw in his draft year. And, yep, gee, frustrated us, and he tested our patience, and we had to whack him over the knuckles a couple of times. But look at what we got, and we were rewarded for that. Yep. And, I mean, Stevie J at Geelong, for instance, he was stood down for six weeks mm. and came back and won a, a premiership. Uh, Luke Hodge and Jordan Lewis probably had a few things. Buddy Franklin probably had a few things. And, and they're some of the greatest players ever. But then you get the examples like this. So I just don't know the answer to the question and, and the vetting process before you draft them. It's difficult. And that's why it's, you know, it's, it's, it's as much science as it Lottery. is uh, gut feel. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anybody, despite some red flags, which I enunciated earlier and I know of some of them, which probably would be, you know, significant red flags. Um, 
it was a gut feel decision to back him in. I, I think probably North Melbourne would look back and say we treated him with kid gloves way too too much early in the piece, and so he was never needed to confront his poor behaviour. Uh, and that doesn't mean I think anyone expects it to to end up in a domestic violence mm. charge. Mm. Um, but you know, clearly there were some behavioural issues leading into his AIS year. His his uh, academy experiences, and he never learned from those. I mean, they just continued. I mean, he was he was suspended uh, a couple of years ago. He was spent, suspended last year. Um, this is a young bloke who may be just one of those that will never learn. Yep. And yep. so, unfortunately, he'll be lost to the game. That's if he gets another opportunity. Yeah. Billy uh, wants to chat about the same topic. What's your thoughts, Bill? Yeah, morning. Uh, sorry, evening, gents. Just quickly, just two points, just regarding that previous caller. Would that make the next draft even more thorough checking? And secondly, is Taron allowed to train anywhere? Can he train at the club or VFL, or is he completely banned from the football club altogether? Well, we don't know. Um, we don't know. We don't even know the suspension yet. And so, until the AFL can confirm that, all of those details, I suspect that an 18-week suspension is just that. Where he's you know, certainly at AFL level, he can't. Whether he can well, he's not training at the club level. now, is he? No, he's not. So, so and, if he gets suspended, I, I think that the chances of him returning to North Melbourne are uh, are very, very slim. Very uh, slim. I mean, I don't think they will delist him because I want to see if they can get some sort of trade for him if it comes to that. But as I said earlier in the show, it is time for the AFL to fair and pull their finger out and let's get to the bottom of this. Uh, to suggest that the, the investigation is still ongoing when a senior writer has said that the commissioner uh, the commission has made a decision um, and we're still sort of flying flags that we're, the investigation is ongoing just doesn't add up to me. Yeah, it's unfair on the club as well who are still in yeah. the dark and he was stood down on January the 17th. Yeah. So we, we are over a month into this and feels like they're just holding off because of that report from from Tom yesterday. Andrew, what's your thoughts? Um, my thoughts are, Kane, I think, like, Stevenson, you know how he got done for gambling and he did uh, 10 weeks on the sideline and then you had Toby Green. I'm not sure what his incidents were for, but they were definitely not domestic violence. No, I, meant, I, I did mention that. I wasn't, com- I wasn't comparing the two. It was more just about the risk that you take with players who perhaps there's a few red flags before you draft them and you hope that you get them in that right environment and they turn their life around somewhat. But, you know, Toby Green was had his troubles with the law as well. I think there might have been a, an assault allegation in there as well. But, yeah, I wasn't saying that they were the same issues, more so the topic of clubs identifying the red flags and taking a risk. This is a pretty serious one, though. Domestic violence towards women. Do you know what I mean? I agree That's with you. Possible. I agree with you, Andrew. I, I agree and with you. I, and also, like, I'm an avid tennis fan, and you know, like the uh, German guy, he was up on, he was up on domestic charges, and he he was allowed to play on, you know, in the Australian Open, and then he made the semis. But um, I don't know if those allegations were found to be. You know, well, they were initially investigated and they were uh, found to not hold any weight. And yet, uh, I think yeah. there's now a civil trial that he's facing in yeah. due yeah. course. So, so. But, but Taron Thomas hasn't been, and I'm not defending him at all. I've been as hard as him as anyone. He hasn't been found found guilty by a court of law either, Andrew. In fact, he hasn't even been charged with anything. That to come out, then I, I, I guess. Well, so, well the yeah. police aren't the police aren't waiting for the AFL. If there's a charge to be laid, they would have laid it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one, but I don't know. I think he's just about done his dash, mate. 
Yep. No, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with anything that you said there, other than the fact that, you know, it's a fact that he hasn't been charged mm. by police or been found guilty of anything. Um, but, I mean, no one here is sitting here defending Taron Thomas. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. if you want to have your say. Off the text, Kane, a question for you guys. Should the AFL be angry, frustrated, worried that they have a leak within their commission, especially with such a serious issue? I don't think we can absolutely ascertain that it was a leak from directly from a commission. I mean, these no. things go through so many hands that uh, the commission, I think would um they'd ask the question they would remind everybody to uh just be careful on who you're speaking to and information given out but i I don't think on the back of this you could say absolutely even though i've got my suspicions uh that uh this was a direct quote from a commission yeah so the 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 journalists have contacts everywhere and a commission this is a complete example a commissioner could have it could have got back to taron thomas's management group yeah and the management group, they're large. And there's a lot of people that work in the, in, within the management group. This is the finding the commission have made. And then it comes from there. Or someone tells a family member. There's all sorts of different ways. But would they be concerned? They'd be unhappy about it, though, wouldn't they, Jerry? I think they'd absolutely. Because it's, it's, put a bit of, it's put a bit of heat on the AFL. And it, it is embarrassing. The way it was worded certainly strongly indicated, implicated uh, the commission having... Um, had some, one of the commissioners having had some loose lips. I think if Tom had of uh, had his time again, he may have just uh, made it a little bit more general than he did. But it's uh, ultimately, I mean, I think would appear as if the decision's made. So let's get on with it. Mm. All right, Mark is on the line. You want to speak about this as well, Mark? Go to you. G'day, guys. Look, I just wanted to say that I know that this has happened, the Terra Thomas situation... I know that a similar type situation happened in Sydney not that long ago. And I hope that that Terry Thomas and the guy who used to play for Sydney, they realise the opportunity that they're potentially flushing down the toilet with Mm. their careers and their lives. And I hope for their sake that they find some peace and some help and get stuff sorted because this goes well beyond sports. 100%. Elijah Taylor is the former Swans player you're talking about. We did discuss him last night, but uh, as Pete Ryan said, at the forefront of our our concerns uh, will be the people on the other end of uh, this who are nameless. Mm. We don't know who they are, who the the women are, um, and they're the ones who uh, are the victims in this. Taryn Thomas and Elijah Taylor, whose career uh, he tried to resurrect by going into the draft again uh, uh, 12 months after, there were no takers. And that may well be the same case for Taron Thomas uh, if he ends up uh, ending or parting ways with the Kangaroos. Mm. It's, and, and the point you make, Mark, is exactly that. In 10 years, how are they feeling about this? And, and, and everything Jared said and our thoughts with the victim, absolutely. The only player, there's a couple of players who I've spoke about the regret of the way they handled it and the waste of talent uh, that happened during their career. Brendan Favol is one of them. I right. think recently, Fev has opened up to the point where he did squander a lot of the talent and he does look back with regret. And I think he's been pretty open uh, with that. He could have been, could have been anything, Fev. Could have been the biggest name in Melbourne football, in the, in the AFL with how popular mm. he was and the way that he played. But maybe David Schwartz is another who's done a lot of work on, on educating players and the pitfalls that he fell into. And 
clearly that didn't help his football um, with, with the addiction that he had, and he's spoken quite openly about that. But you don't often get players that reflect with a bit of regret and and what if? Uh, what, what if I just yep. was a full professional for 10 years and got the most out of myself? What could have been? And that will be the case for... For Taron Thomas. Um, I want to talk about Dustin Martin. On the, In fact, let's do it now. We've got a bit of time now. We spoke about Adam Uze and him taking down the posters at Richmond, but he also had his say on what role he expects Dusty to play and how he's feeling. So what sort of a Dusty do you think you've inherited? Well, the main thing is he looks happy and enjoying his footy. And for me as a coach, that's what I want to be able to provide, an environment that he can come in and, and know that he can still improve. Like There's parts of his game and he's training with the midfield and um, he hasn't done that for a couple of years. Why are they putting all the veteran guns back on ball? Jerry, that's what it's so Fife. He's yep. fo- no, he's not a forward. He's back on ball now. Pendlebury, he's going to nah, when the when the whips are cracking. Where's Scott Pendlebury play? He plays on ball. They tried to turn Travis Boak into a half forward yes. about six years ago. That didn't work. Now Dangerfield's probably another example of that. Now Dusty's going back on ball. I'm not sure why the, the the reason, other than that, they're great players because they're great midfielders. I mean, Dusty, exactly. Dusty's a great half forward as well. But I get the feeling Dusty might have been getting bored down there. He likes the ball in his hand, and so if he's going to play, well, he, he wants to be around the ball. Maybe the coaches said, "Well, why don't you go out and win another Brownlow? Mm. Why, why don't you go and win another Best and Fairest?" Of course, he could. He's, yeah. They're hard to win though, as a as a uh, small forward, but. Uh, if Dusty gets on a on a roll, it may well be the thing that excites him the most, the fact that he's getting the ball 35 times and and getting up and down the ground a fair bit. So yeah. may, maybe uh, it's the same with it's the, the same with uh, all players. They like to be up and around the ball. And I think they're going to have uh, some issues. I mean, and, uh, with who's the, who's the young bloke um, at uh, Richmond on the half-forward flank? Shea Bolton, of course. Oh, yeah who, you know, for three or four years has stood out as a player who could be, you know, one of the best five or six players in the competition. Hard to do it as just a small forward. It is. Lonely. So, it's lonely down there. It's lonely. I mean, it's, you know, you're talking 12 possessions a game, if you're lucky. Old is new. All the big guns, yeah. they, just because they're above the age of 30, they go, oh, okay, let, let's move them out of the midfield. No, nah, not anymore. They've realised that, okay, we might need our best players to play on ball. Funny how that works. So, look, I'm excited to see yeah. Dustin Martin play. Oh, it's not going to be 100% midfield minutes, but you'd love to see him in there for 50% of the time. Then he rests forward, gets a matchup he likes, and bang. Yep. Uh, I'm excited back. to see Fife back. I really don't want to – I want to remember Fife as – I see him go out with a, a couple of seasons of greatness, mm. you know, and, and giving us a, a good look at uh, what he was because, you know, at a period of time, I remember Dwayne Russell saying in commentary, everybody wants to be Nat Five mm. right now. I mean, he was the most brutal contested ball winner of uh, his generation. And, you know, he's just had so many issues and, and they need him badly. I was having a look at their side. I mean, their best side is pretty good side, yep. Fremantle, but it's a much better side if Nat Five's firing. No doubt about that. You listen to sports, they were doing it all thanks to Kia, the new refined seven-seat Kia Sorento, and for Maccas, the McNugget buddies are back at Maccas. You can give us a call like a lot of you have already this evening on the Harcourts open line. For all things real estate, speak to the experts. That's Harcourts. We'll be back with more of Sports Day after this. Frost Box, the new refined seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's large SUV. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. You're listening to Sports Day. 
You are listening to Sports Day and some news out of Collingwood as we discussed with Sammy Edmund on the program yesterday. Collingwood has secured former Victorian cricketer Will Parker as a Category B rookie. Now, the 21-year-old was a highly touted AFL prospect in 2020, uh, a year that he debuted, debuted for Victoria in the Shield. Uh, he's since quit cricket and he's picking up the reigning premiers as his new home. Mm. There was a link to the Western Bulldogs there, but uh, Collingwood have uh, struck first. Jumped in. Well... That's a good news story, Kane. A big story which is going to evolve this year is the Tassie Devils. As you know, I've never been convinced that... Where are you now? Because you, you were sending a couple of messages on your holidays, frustrated by... by not, not frustrated, interested, I guess, in the well, latest development. Are you, are you less convinced now? I've never been convinced. I, I, are you listen, less convinced? I'm less convinced. Okay. I think it's, it's now in that murky sort of... Uh, so no, the murky quicksand between uh, two AF, two political parties, one of which was a supporter, but now they look like they could get chipped out on this issue. So they're trying to negate that by limiting their exposure to about three hundred and seventy-five million. The the uh, government has tipped, uh, federal government has tipped in two fifty, and the stadium's going to cost a billion. So the mm. AFL have tipped in fifteen million dollars to the stadium. Where's the rest of the money going to come from? And this is a great challenge for uh, Andrew Dillon because they are clearly, the, the, the Labor Party, if they get into power, they will just go straight onto the front foot and say, it's, you cannot desert us now, AFL. And yet the mm. AFL have been resolute. No stadium, no licence. So it's, yeah, well, it's very the, the, murky. The, go- and the I, government can't accuse the AFL of deserting them because the AFL, and we had Rob Ald from the AFL on, on Monday, and the, the, their line is almost word yeah. for word every time you ask them about them. And that's been consistent, to your point, for the moment this was spoken about. Uh, no stadium, no team. So then the, the new government can't come and say, oh, you've deserted us. The AFL just go, hang on, this has always been the terms for us, for yeah. you to get a new team. And that, that's common sense, terms. but that's not the politics. The new <laughs> Labor uh, Premier down there will say, we've got two fantastic stadiums. You can't do this to the Tasmanian people. Mm. To which the AFL will say, well, where, where are you going to get the money? That's right. Yeah. And so, they're going to say, no, it needs to go will. into hospital. In fact, Tom Morris has uh, just been on Channel 9, and uh, this is what he had to say about it. Well, less than a month out from that election that you speak of, the stadium, as a result, the uh, team down there is in serious limbo. Now, the opposition leader, Rebecca White, has repeatedly said she'll seek to renegotiate the stadium deal if Labor wins the March 23 election. She said, and I quote here, the stadium is not the right priority for our state. We also don't believe it can be built on that site for that price and in that time frame. I think the AFL are also coming to realise that. But the AFL today reaffirmed its position to Nine News, which is a roof stadium, a 23,000 uh, 23, seat stadium, and also built at Macquarie Point. Tony, there's no other way to say this. A Labor victory would be catastrophic for the prospects of a stadium and, as a result, a team in Tasmania, and that's exactly what the league is dealing with at the moment. Now, the polls are very tight as well, so it could, could go either way. If Labor win the election, then it's likely to going to be a minority government. Well, well, that puts it into perspective for the Labor government, but the Liberal government have now, they've boxed themselves into the corner and said not one red cent more than $375 million. $250 million from the federal government, which brings it up to six twenty. Where's the other four hundred million coming from? So, so now we're in trouble on both sides. Yeah, we're totally. I mean, that's why the devils—they're uh, well, extinct. The devils, aren't they? Oh no, they're still well, going. Let's 
why don't we get someone on because the Tasmanian people and the journalists that I follow on they get very sensitive on this. When when anyone questions this, like we are doing tonight, they bite back and they they, they think we're that you're doing it for clickbait sort of. Well, no, a, we're doing a, it. A this response. is reality. This is so now. Let's, so let's go to Tassie. And we'll put Sammy will get us someone from Tassie. Brent yep. Costello is probably probably our man. He, he joins us regularly and he has done right throughout this topic. I've noticed and we'll he's get been his thoughts uh, on it. He's been sort of working other parts of the station. Is he? Brent. I mean, he, we put him on the map. And now, now he's got he his answer, own breakfast now, show. Now he answers anybody's call. Hey, he's, got, he's, got, he's got his own breakfast show. Um, if you want to have your say on that, send us a text. The temper text machine is on, but we might continue that one tomorrow night, 0433981116. Uh, we're going to speak some cricket next because the Aussies have flown out. They take on New Zealand in a T20. The top six is looking good. What does it mean for Steve Smith, Daniel Cherney from Code Sports? He's heading over there and he'll preview it for us next. You're listening to Sports Day. Thanks for your company on Sports Day. If you're just joining us, big program. Thanks to all of you who have contributed to it, and you can still do that off the temper text machine, 0433981116. We're here for Nutrient Ag Solutions going further for Australian farmers. You can find your local branch at nutrient.com.au. Well, uh, the Aussies are gearing up for a fierce T20 series against New Zealand, which gets underway tomorrow. And to tell us all about it is a man who has travelled extensively around the globe following the Aussies from Code Sports. Good friend of the show is Daniel Cherney. Dan, thanks for your time again. Kane, Jack, pleasure to be with, with you. Dan, I don't want to get personal, but I read in the Herald Sun two days ago that the uh, holders of the stop-go signs get 120000 Given the amount of time you've been away, you must be on a huge uh, dollar at Code Sports. <laughs> uh, because it's just go, go, go. There's no stop. <laughs> no, it's been pretty full on, but uh, look, not very few years like last year when uh, you have a, a, an India Test Tour, which I didn't go on, but then the Ashes Tour and a World Cup. So it's just one of the, the, the nature of the cricket calendar. It, it is pretty, pretty full on, and uh, that's just me watching, let alone those playing. Uh, I can tell you there's no lucrative IPL deals on the table okay. for them. So not for the journalists. I, I need to work harder. Just put in context, if you wouldn't mind, the last 12 months of cricket. I know recency bias uh, knocks us all around, but... I'm not sure I can remember a better 12 months of cricket than what we just witnessed. Oh, it's been phenomenal, hasn't it? And there's been some incredible cricket. And you're right, recency bias is always a bit of a risk. But look, I think, uh, as I touched on earlier, like the, the scope and the, the nature and the, the gravitas of the series that Australia, the men's side, has played over the last 12 months really um, you know, it shows how, how big a deal it was uh, to have an Ashes on the line, a Border Gavaskar trophy in India and a World Cup, plus sort of home summer. And look, overall, it hasn't been a perfect 12 months for, for the Aussie men, but overall, they've, uh, they've won more than they've lost. They won the World Test Championship for the first, for the first time as well, retained the Ashes, obviously, an, an engrossing and controversial, incredible series, and then the World Cup. Then uh, in India in, in late 2023, a pretty good home summer. They were a bit patchy with their form, but in the end, they did beat Pakistan 3-0. Retained the um, Sir Frank Worrell Trophy Series against the West Indies. It wasn't, uh, wasn't ideal there, the way they lost. That's the Windies at the Gabba, but by the same token, I don't think anyone could begrudge the Windies their win and the way Shamar Joseph turned it on. And now they, they turn their attention to New Zealand uh, for a big couple of tests. And before that, they've got three T20s, which in and of themselves are not enormous matches, but they are building up to another T20 World Cup in, in June in the West Indies in the US. Dan, it's an old squad. Do we need to inject some young blood into this? Uh, Jake Fraser-McGurk is the one that springs to mind, but when you're looking at Marsh as captain, Cummins has been around forever, same with Maxwell, Warner's still there, Wade, Stark, 
Smith, it's reasonably old, if to put it um, bluntly. No, look, it, it is, Kane. Uh, I think when they won the T20 World Cup in uh, 2021 in the UAE, I think the youngest player in the winning 11 was Pat Cummins, who had already been playing international cricket by that point for 10 years and was in his late 20s. And look, I, I suppose that's always the risk or, or just one of the, the effects when you have a very successful team that goes through together, particularly in the bowlers who have been pretty consistent across the formats. I mean, the only real change is the spinner, Adam Zampakalu, the white ball, and Nathan Lyon in test cricket. And then when you've got similar sort of batters, for the most part, playing across formats, uh, David Warner still playing in T20 cricket, Glenn Maxwell's in his mid-30s, he touched on Marsh. So, look, it, it, is, it is an older side, but by the same token, it's a side that's still winning for the most part. And they are gradually drip-feeding in some of these younger guys um, in probably some of the lesser series. We saw them in those one days against the West Indies. We saw Xavier Bartlett get a look in. Spencer Johnson is, is not that young, but he's still mm. uh, in his 20s. Jake Fraser-McGurk. So it's a balance. I mean, it's, it's not like, say, a footy where you've got to go to the draft to regenerate. You do pick your best available side, certainly for all test matches, I think, especially in the World Test Championship era. And then for the, for the big white ball series, and then you, you pick your moments as to when you, um, when you decide to opt for some of the younger guys in white ball cricket. It is very much a reflection of of professional sport in this era, though. We're thirties, the old twenty five. Yeah, that's a great great point. I mean, I think we saw we saw it with tennis, didn't we? Um, or yeah. a lot a lot of sports, but tennis in particular is the one I sort of always hark back to. I mean, Djokovic is still going at his age. You know, Federer was still successful well through his thirties. Nadal, of course, then on the women's side as well with, with Serena. You know, being ultra successful yeah. until deep in her thirties. I mean, Venus, I think, is still hasn't formally retired. <laughs> so they, they, these, um, these athletes, they just go on and on. We've seen that in footy, you know, Geelong with that old, old side, were, were, you know, won the flag obviously two seasons ago, LeBron James. I mean, the list goes on in terms of how these athletes manage to keep on and, um, you know, the way they're managed, ultra-professional era, um, they're able to maintain themselves. And I guess say Kane's in the best nick of his life. <laughs> not, not quite, but uh, going okay for someone in their early 40s. Um, tell me about the top six. It feels like it's reasonably settled. There's a follow-up question to this, but Head and, and Warner at the top of the order. Mitch Marsh has confirmed that he'll bat at three. Maxwell um, will bat at four. Um, so it feels reasonably settled, and, and Tim David's been in good form as well. Where does it leave Steve Smith? Oh, look, he, he faces a real uphill battle to, to get into the 11, and, and perhaps even for the squad for the uh, T20 World Cup. The big few games for Steve Smith, who also doesn't have the luxury of having an IPL contract to fall back on, where he can, when I say fall back on, he's in pretty good shape financially, but fall back on in terms of being able to sort of push his spot for the, for the T20 World Cup um, through the IPL, which others will be able to do. So, And I think at this stage, he's really, if he's not opening, I can't see where he fits into the 11. I envisage for this first game that they, as you touched on, with with the first four spots pretty much picking themselves. Uh, And and then David at six. I think Josh Inglis will probably bat at five, at least for this first Mm. game, given Matthew Wade is not in the country um, due to the the, uh, birth of his um, third child. And then I suspect that they will give Matt Shaw to go at seven, um, especially in the absence of, of Marcus Stornis and Aaron Hardy. So... I think Short will have a look down there. I mean, he's obviously done extremely well up the order for the Adelaide Strikers, but, you know, I can't see him dislodging any of Marsh, Head or Warner, but I just think he's, he's more versatile than Smith. So it'll be interesting to see if they give Smith a, a brief look down the order, but uh, at this stage, I think he's really a backup, um, at least for the 11. I mean, he's a pretty good backup to have a player like Steve Smith, but his T20 record is just, it's not exceptional. Um, he, he had fair success for the Sydney Sixers in the BBL a couple of summers ago, but um, it's been few and far between at international level for a little while now, and uh, I think there are better options. 
Uh, we've moved on from him, Kane. Uh, the selection uh, group has met, and uh, I think it was it was a uh, time to move on. You asking me? Yeah. Well, you're yeah, the chairman yeah, no. of selectors. Well, no, I, I, he's frustrating to watch, and I think he doesn't have the power that um, some of the other batsmen have um, in that. And you mentioned if Short's coming in at seven, uh, that's a pretty strong top seven, I would have thought, Dan. But I wonder how he'll cope with being left out. He's he's still pretty sure of himself, Steve. <laughs> Oh, look, and to be fair, um, when you've achieved as much as Steve Smith has, I'd, yeah. I'd, be, um, I'd understand that. Uh, look, I'm, I'm sure for him, he will see it a bit like his opening position. He'll see it as a challenge. Uh, he'll, he'll try to you know, find a way in, however that is. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure there will be one there for him. But, uh, and I suppose the question for him is, if he doesn't make it to this World Cup, does he just give up on that format altogether? Uh, albeit it is still the most lucrative format of the game. But when you're not picking up an, an IPL contract, I suppose that mm. the money's not necessarily there elsewhere to the same extent. And the other interesting thing is, is will he get a replacement deal in the IPL? Will mm. he sort of go on for basement money somewhere? Uh, so there are, you know, there still could be a few twists in this tale before the World Cup. You wrote a column this morning uh, questioning the future of uh, test spinner, a young Matt Kuhneman. What's your, what's your uh, brief synopsis of that? It's an interesting position with Matt Kuhneman because he's 27. He had a pretty good debut series in India last year, took a fiver in that win in indoor. And then he hasn't played a Sheffield Shield match since. Uh, And it's tricky because Queensland, not not a great state for spinners. They still rate Mitchell Swepson. He's been getting the first gig as a spinner. He's got another year to go in his contract. This week he's out at playing for Queensland's second 11 at Casey Fields which is just, I just don't think is, is optimal for a guy no. um, you know, who could be a, a, a fair test player for Australia going forward. They've got a test tour of Sri Lanka early next year where they're, they're going to want to take a, a left-arm spinner. So, look, if I were Matt Kuhneman and I were, you know, even Cricket Australia, I'd be just trying to make sure that Kuhneman gets out of Queensland. Uh, not, not, not to anyone's fault. You know, that's just the nature yep. of the beast. Yep. And maybe get a go, say, at Tassie or South Australia or somewhere where he might be more of a, more of a chance. Before we ask you about some other matters relating to the game, captivated by the uh, England and India series where England got smashed and it just India looked irresistible, Dan. They, they've got batsmen that I've never heard of that are just fronting <laughs> up and making runs for fun and dispatching the England bowlers into the top tier of the grandstand. Uh, it's pretty scary what they're doing. It is. I mean, at times with India, you sort of think, oh, have they, um, you know, are they going to need to rebuild a bit? Are they going to, are they going to have... You know, when you've got Coley deep into his 30s and, and um, same with Rohit Sharma and then Ashwin and Jadeja and um, then they moved on from sort of Rahane and Pujara. And you think, oh, we're, you know, maybe they're going to down for, due for a bit of a, um, a down spell and then they, you know, un- unearth someone like a Jaiswal who's just a superstar already. Like, you're just mm. picking these guys out. Um, Safra's Khan comes in and um, on the back of um, mountains of Ranji Trophy runs, he's averaging sort of in the 70s in first-class cricket, unheard of struggles to, to get a game, eventually does so, and then just fits in seamlessly. So, look, I suppose it makes sense. This is what you'd expect out of India, or what, what they should be producing. They should have a glut of cricketers, a glut of world-class cricketers. And we saw it three summers ago, remember, out here, when you know they were absolutely uh, hammered by injury and unavailability. And their, their sort of third-string 11 ended up beating Australia at the Gabba and winning that series famously. So, oh, they're, 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 you know, they are not... I was going to say they're never down for long. I mean, they're not even really down. I mean, they are just a constant threat come out here of course next summer and uh, Australia have an uphill task to um, regain the Border Gavaska trophy We're speaking about depth give us an example of Australia's depth, if we picked a second 11 and put it up against our number one test team would it win if they played 10 times, how many times would they win? Well against the first choice side uh, uh, you know 
maybe one or two. I mean, yeah. just uh, the law of averages, I think. I mean, it's an interesting, um, interesting question. I suppose, you know, if you look at who it would be at the moment, he'd probably still have Bancroft and, and Harrison Renshaw still at the top three. You know, might have Nathan McSweeney coming in there. Uh, maybe a Bo Webster, given the form he's been in. Depends if you want to give a go to, go to someone like a Fraser McGurk or a Matt Short. And then, look, the bowlers would be, you know, Boland, Nisa, yep. Sean Abbott um, and Todd Murphy. So, look, don't get me wrong, some pretty good cricketers in that. And Josh Inglis probably with the gloves. So, um, some decent players. But, you know, when you're going up against Cummins, Lyon, Smith, Labashane, when they're all firing, yep. I still think there's a, a bit, bit of uh, quality in that first side, as there should be. Are you concerned about Labashane and where he's at? A little bit. Uh, I think to an extent there's a bit of regression to the mean there with Labashane. I mean, he you got to remember, when he was averaging 60, yep. look, you don't get to 60 um, by being a poor player, but he, he was a bit lucky with, with certain things. I mean, he was being dropped more than other players. He was just probably getting the rub of the green with the IRS. Just a few things were going his way. And probably over the last 12 months, they just haven't gone his way quite to that extent. So I think over the long run, you know, he's still probably a high 40s, maybe 50 test average player. Um, and it's just it's just going to be very hard to sustain that. No, so uh, look, he has he did get out a couple of uh, similar way um, in those couple of innings in Brisbane. He got sort of got squared up. So I think things have probably worked him out to an extent. But he's a, he's still a class player. I'm not overly concerned in the long run. But they do need him firing because um, you know Green's still not quite there yet at Test level. Albeit made a good ton for WA against Tasmania and, and clearly Kawaja and Smith and the like are coming towards the end. Mm. As we forecast to next summer, which is going to be bumper, what are the burning questions that you've got over the Aussie Test team? Jared's mentioned Labashane. You quickly touched on Green. Can Nathan Lyon keep this up with his age and his body, perhaps, and his durability? Look, I think it's a question with all these guys: can they keep it up? I mean, Lyon, obviously, you know, after playing a hundred straight Tests, finally had you know injury finally caught up with him. Um, age finally caught up with him with that calf injury, obviously at Lords, which was a you know, turning point of the whole series. Um, and, you know, all these guys, are, you know, to go back to what you said at the start, these guys are, they're older players. They're, they're going to be more susceptible to injury as well, as well as they are managed and as well as, say, a Josh Hazelwood who's got through the last six to nine months. I mean, you're always a little bit nervous with someone like him or Mitchell Stark, fast bowlers at that stage of their career line as well. You know, do the reflexes start to slow a bit for someone like a Kawaja who's been so mighty over the last couple of years? So I think in short, it's can these Australian greats and, you know, just about all of them there are greats at various levels. Can they just get to the line? Can they continue to hold close enough to, that, to their best so that they can match it with a, a, an Indian side that is starting to find um, some younger players? The other one I think is really interesting is Mitch Marsh, who has had a huge you know, 12 months and, and obviously just turned around his reputation within Australian cricket and such a beloved character, you know, winning the Allen Border medal. But I, he probably had, just had a bit of luck on the batting front in Test cricket over the last six months. And I just wonder if is that... Is it sustainable for him to go as well as he has, um, or even close to that level, um, for another another twelve months? Well, Dan, you're jumping on a plane uh, next Tuesday, heading off for the test. So not mm. not there for the T20s, but uh, a couple of tests. So very lucky, uh, Wellington, Christchurch, worst places to be. Beautiful country, New Zealand, of course. So looking forward to it. All right, mate. We look forward to reading you in Code Sports, and no doubt you will be good enough to jump on with us and tell us about the Test Series, mate. We appreciate your time. Always generous with it, and have a great trip. No, looking forward to it, and thanks a lot. Daniel Cherney does a great job across all sports, uh, particularly cricket, though, but you'll be able to read his thoughts on the upcoming AFL season as well. 
and he's off to New Zealand where we will no doubt chat to him throughout what is going to be a fascinating series. Three T20s getting underway tomorrow and then the tests after that. It's Melbourne Mavericks I'm our Membership Week. You can join the tribe, get pre-sale access, 20% off ticketing, merch discounts, exclusive Trailblazer merch and more to secure your inaugural membership today at melbournemavericks.com.au. Um how have you absorbed your time off, Jared, and all the sporting news and headlines that um, oh. you no doubt wanted to have a say on? Oh, no, I was pretty, you're supposed to be having your feet up. I was pretty well uh, said out. I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I really enjoyed the West Indies victory. I know that seems a bit uh, unusual, but I, I love the West Indies victory. Love the Sydney to Hobart uh, finish. I'm not sure if you got engrossed in that. No, game, I didn't. That, that was quite unbelievable i think it was about uh six inches maybe a bit more but that was after two days racing 100 foot boats going down the uh, east coast of australia to finish in uh going up the river and you're only uh you're only a, a, what a meter away from your opponent and you, you win that was quite engrossing mm. um what were the other uh, flash tennis did the, did the uh, tennis i love the tennis you? yeah no i was i don't reckon i watched more tennis this year than any other year I spent right. a hell of a lot of time on the couch watching tennis. One of the worst summers, I've got to say, in history in Victoria. Oh, the weather. The weather's been absolutely putrid. Not, you know, an average February, but we've had one hot day. I mean, let's be honest. We've had a couple of good days of surfing, maybe five or six. At this time of the year, we've had so many southeasterlies. It's been rubbish, uh, with the odd exception. Um, so I did watch a hell of a lot of tennis, and I was yeah. absolutely thrilled that uh, Sinner got up uh, and the... Yeah. And the um, the Port Adelaide and connection. Adelaide connection was so, absolutely strong. I saw Jocko there. Yeah, I want to tell you. So I want to tell you about that because we yeah. had our uh, Hall of Fame last Thursday night, yeah. and then we caught up on the Friday, and uh, we caught up just so the, the the formal stuff on the Thursday, which was great, and yeah. Jocko was in good form. We spoke, but he was in better form the next morning at a casual breakfast that we had, and we asked him about sitting in yep. Sinner's box, and he said that he'd sat in right right in the action the whole the whole way through the tournament and he's observed the way that Sinner had been coached by Darren and the sort of tactics that he used, the motivation but also the tactical information that he would give. And he said during the final uh, when he was two sets to love down, yeah. Darren really went into his shell. Like he, he almost went into himself and had almost felt like to Choco given up. And yeah. He wasn't doing the things that had led yep. to his uh, charger getting to, to where he got to. So Choco reckons he actually stood up in the break after the second set and said, I don't know what he said. He said, come on. This is not what you've been doing the whole tournament, and he sort of ripped into Darren. Oh, is that right? And then it sort of Darren woke Darren up. And well, Darren, Darren did started, get vocal, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. He, he said started, something about the net, didn't he? He did come to the net or some, yeah. something like that. Neutralize the that. net or something along those yeah. lines. And then uh, I don't know if Choco wasn't taking credit for it, but uh, I think he sounds, of, sounds like he was. Sounds, sounds maybe a little bit. <laughs> if you know if you know him, he just cannot. Oh, of help course himself. he can. No, he a, said they he's speak a great Italian. And yeah, he'd, be so, he'd be so frustrated that his charge wasn't doing <laughs> what he uh, had said. Oh, it was a fantastic final, though. I yeah. mean, it was, like, even in the fourth set, it looked like he, I mean, he was cooked. But in the fourth set, he still had some uh, break points, which, mm. which would have made it even more amazing. I was actually quite sorry that the Russian had to lose. He's lost three now, so... I'm a fan of the Russians. I think so he's. I. Uh, I, I think he's a hell of a competitor. He won me over with his um, on-court interviews after his yeah. matches. How he's talking about how far he was standing back. This Medvedev we're talking about behind the, the service yeah. line when he was receiving and why he does it, and then yeah. he changed that up. So that was a great insight. He, so I always found him really dislike 
dislike when I was watching him yeah. just because he's had a few blow-ups, but I thought he let us in. And he won me over, so you're right. So that that was that. I had um, a, uh, some commentator said he choked. I mean, it was nothing like a choke. He just mm. – it was one of the gutsiest finals to turn it around and actually receive on the baseline, as you were rightly pointing out. Changed up completely. Mm. Um, I mean, he was a skerrick away from winning, and unfortunately, I mean, he, he was just cooked. And then there was the Super Bowl. I don't think you usually get into that much, but you, you uh, would have. Uh, this is my summary of the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, first half, boring. Yep. Uh, halftime entertainment, I thought, uh, was very meatloafish. So did I. I thought oh, it was it very average. Mark. And didn't I think it was very average. Yeah, Australia's grand final entertainment, pre-game entertainment, has been so much superior to that in the last couple of years. Tick, tick there. And the second half was engrossing. I really enjoyed it. Mm. I, I was a, not a fan of the... Um, of uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend abusing the coach on the sidelines. No, I thought that how, was. I thought he let himself badly down there. So did I. Uh, not sure they yeah. got any coverage. It would have got a lot of coverage had they lost. That's what I was thinking because they were down at that point when that yeah. happened, and it looks as though it was going to be tough for them. But because they win, they can laugh it off at the end, and yeah. the coach just sort of says, "Oh, that's that's Travis, and that's the relationship that we have, and we forget mm. about it because they mm. want me." If they had have lost, it was a big. It was a big story. Uh, some news today for Ty Power um, is that uh, Hawthorne's horror injury run has continued with my man Denver Granger Barras going down. He's got turf toe. Yeah, I out. saw that. Got an operation. Sounds innocuous, turf toe, but he's had an operation 12 to 14 weeks. Mm. That must be serious. Well, it's a, it's a significant. I mean, it kills his season, really. I mean, he's, mm. he's a high draft pick, number six, I think, for mm. memory. And yep. right now he is uh, miles behind where they would hope he would be. And uh, this is certainly... Going to set it back. But, uh, look, I'm going to have to repeat myself, as I told you at the top of the program. I finished my swim this morning, as I told you. And just for those uh, who have were listening earlier, I do apologise for repeating myself. But as I got onto the beach cane, young bloke, strapping bloke, uh, looked pretty fit, came up to me and said, Gay Jared, it's Finn. Finn who? The finisher. I'm thinking, which Finn are we talking about? There's a few Finns uh, in AFL footy right now. And I was trying to this bin, I've had <laughs> anyway, I was sort of looking for information and I'm finally so, how'd you like your uh, medal, the Corns medal? And I'm thinking to myself, this is Finn McGuinness. I'm talking to the, I'm talking to the Corns medalist on the beach this morning. So anyway, we had a good chat and uh, he's, a young, he's a really uh, nice young bloke, as I told you. But uh, Hawthorne have got a beauty there and I think the stronger they get as a club, the more his negating role will be uh, mm. important. May not be their year uh, this year, the Hawks, because of the injuries that they've got. And certainly the start to the season will be difficult. Yeah. But they're definitely, as we've discussed, I think on the right, right path towards getting um, closer towards winning a premiership. Gee, in he the was next proud of his medal. Oh, good. I pumped him up. He did uh, say uh, that. And we had him on the program last year. Yep. I defended him against Simon Goodwin's outlandish statements yep, that yep. he doesn't want the football. That no, was ridiculous. And, um, and he has got one of the best physiques in football. He's had a big pre-season yeah. from what I can tell him from what he had from the beach muscles today. out. I had to put <laughs> my Saints, shirt on. <laughs> the Saints' best player uh, is Jack Sinclair. He's targeting a round one return. He's recovering from some calf issues. Now, of course, the dual All-Australian, he's not going to play in their two pre-season matches. The club are saying they are managing his workload ahead of the start of the season. And as we discussed, and I've got my concerns about this, Adelaide have just put everyone essentially in their leadership group. Has he? There's, there's eight of them. There's eight. eight of them. I'm not sure about it, as, I, as we talked about a little bit earlier on in the program. And 
Um, I'm not sure they have completely got that right. They've done a lot right, Adelaide, but I'm not sure that is uh, one of those That's things. Like a right? cabinet. Oh, and there's, everyone gets a prize, and there's some players in this leadership group that will not be playing round one. They'll not be look, overlooked. So they selection. won't be leading. This is Sports Day for Kia, the new refined seven-seat Kia Sorento. And for Maccas, the McNugget buddies are back at Maccas. Give us a call if you'd like to. The Harcourt's open line for all things real estate. You can speak to Harcourt's. Now, as the population grows and demand for the electricity increases, Powercourt is upgrading the network in Ballarat to support the region and maintain reliable and safe power for all Ballarat residents and businesses. Powercore's vacant site at 203 York Street, Ballarat East, is the most suitable location for a new substation that will help them meet the increasing demands. Powercore is inviting the local community to join them at a community drop-in session. To learn more about the Ballarat East Zone substation project, provide feedback and help share the project's visual design through a community co-design process. Community drop-in sessions will be held at the York Conference Room at the Sovereign Park Motor Inn on 223 Main Road, Golden Point from 4 to 6 p.m., and on Thursday, the 22nd of February, at 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Saturday, the 24th of February. For more information on the Ballarat East Zone substation, visit PowerCore's website at powercore.com.au slash Ballarat East ZSS. And up next on 11.16 is the Maccas Run with John Donahue, who's going to keep you updated. But if you want to keep listening to us, just flick it over to the SEN app.